Hi everyone, Steve Adubato, my colleague Mary Gamba. This is Lessons in Leadership and one of our longtime partners on the higher ed um, and is Seton Hall University and the Bicino Leadership Institute where I've been honored to teach a master class there for many years. But a new initiative is taking place over at Seton Hall, right Mary? It is. It's more of a, a merger. I don't know if you can say merger when you take two colleges and you combine them into one, but for all intents and purposes, it's a merger, I guess. We'll have to ask the experts. And that's why we're joined by Dr. Brian Crable, who is um, the founding dean of the College of Human Development, Culture, and Media at the Seton Hall University. Good to see you, Dean. Good to see you, Steve. Thanks so much for the invitation. Nice to see you too, oh, Mary. Thank you. Brian, tell everyone what this new college is all about, because it's groundbreaking and important. The new college is really exciting to me because it brings together both sort of the former colleges that focus on communication and education, but creates something new, um, something that's at the intersection of communication in the arts, leadership, education, and mental health. And from my perspective, what's really exciting about that is these are the concerns that to me are really um, at the heart of the problems we're facing today in America and, and the broader world are those things together. And so from my perspective, the new college is a space where we can explore the intersection over these disciplines in a way that actually has the potential to make an impact. Brian, along those lines, um, we've been doing a series called The Future of Higher Education on our sister programs um, on the Caucus Educational Corporation. And one of the things it seems to me is one of the things that is happening is that higher ed institutions to remain relevant impactful and significant, have to constantly innovate and find new ways of doing things. So it's my long-winded way of getting to this. Is this new college an example of the kind of innovative, creative thinking that says, hey, wait a minute, we've got these separate bifurcated entities. Let's pull them together, please. Definitely. Silo thinking has been something that people have complained about in higher education for a long time. And I think it's become increasingly clear that we can't maintain a siloed model if we're actually going to be relevant to the concerns of, of our present moment and to educating students who are actually prepared to not only succeed in, in professional industries, but also to be leaders in their communities. Uh, and so from my perspective, bringing folks together across different disciplines is what we have to do if we really want to think clearly and carefully about these issues and if we want our students to be prepared to confront them. One more quick one before Mary jumps in here. Um, again, at the, over at the Bucino Leadership Institute, mm -hmm. uh, a, a very significant institute over there at Seton Hall University, I've been honored to teach, as I said, a master class on communication and leadership. So my question for you is, on the, on the media part of this, the College of Human Development, Culture, and Media, how do you define, quote unquote, media leadership? Well, one of the things that that entails is recognizing that leadership has to take account of the kinds of changes that media are producing for us. I don't think leaders in the past had to think about the ways in which um, AI might be transforming their jobs or the ways in which people's attention spans might have been shifted by sort of the rise of social media um, Web 2.0, all those kinds of, of forms of technology. And so it's about understanding that leadership has to recognize the ways in which media reshape our society. And it's also then about understanding that if we're going to be a leader in media industries, um, we have to be forward thinking and innovative in our in our approach to to what this actually means for our culture. We live this every day, Mary, as a media organization. <laughs> saying, how, how do we, I don't know what we... you're talking about, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mary, how about this? Where do we put our stuff? <laughs> Where do we take our stuff and what, go ahead, Mary, jump in. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I had a question about the cultures. I know uh, talking with your team and uh, separately, uh, just doing some research about this, when you bring together these two colleges with very different histories, very different cultures, very different leadership, 
How do you how do you integrate them? How do you get buy-in from both sides? Because I'm sure there's different techniques, different you know ways of thinking, especially thought leadership. So talk a little bit about those challenges, but also the opportunities to bring those two colleges together. Oh, definitely. And I appreciate the question. And from my perspective, the challenges and the opportunities are actually um, in some ways very much the same, right? The opportunity is for us to really begin to think differently, um, to bring in sort of colleagues that we might not have thought about before as being relevant to our program of study or to our research. Um, and to actually say like, no, this is this is a space where we can come together um, and create new lines of contact um, and new programs of research, new opportunities for, for student faculty engagement. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that's really great about it is coming from the outside. I don't have a history in sort of um, any of the departments that are that are in our new College of Human Development, Culture and Media. Um, and so I come in from the outside, coming from Villanova, staying in the Big East, but um, but uh, <laughs> the outside. <laughs> but it, I know. Is, yeah, little basketball, Big East, Big East basketball. It's a whole nother topic. Very competitive. So real quick on your background, you mentioned it a couple of times. Sorry for interrupting, Brian. Uh, your background coming in, please. Yeah, well, my uh, degrees, uh, I did my graduate study at Purdue University. I studied communication and philosophy, and it was an interdisciplinary PhD program. And that, to me, really convinced me of the need to get outside of siloed thinking and instead to think about the ways in which disciplines come together. Um, Villanova, I was fortunate enough to be hired by Villanova um, 25 years ago, <laughs> no longer a young person. But uh, but so I spent 25 years there as a faculty member, administrator. I developed an endowed center. Um, and so when I saw this opportunity at Seton Hall, to me, it seemed like a perfect opportunity to bring my, my skills and talents, my interdisciplinary background, my approach to leadership um, to this new context. Um, my students were not necessarily thrilled uh, with the choice. They sent me a screenshot of Seton Hall upsetting Villanova on Seniors Day last year, and they called me a traitor. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a lot of inside basketball, not even baseball, but it's all it relevant. Is. Hey, Brent, let me do this. Um, your your upcoming book, White Sacraments, Everyday Rituals of White Supremacy. The message is? Part of what I'm interested in is understanding a question that I saw raised by, by a blogger, which was, how can a culture that does so much to dehumanize and oppress Black Americans at the same time worship and admire them? Right, you think about the context of um, musical artists, hip hop, sports, um, celebrity culture. One of the things that I became really interested in is the fact that when we think about white supremacy, we tend to think about folks with tiki torches, angry, hateful, um, doing those kinds of really horrific, violent actions. And obviously, that is definitely a huge problem. And that is also, for sure, one way that white supremacy manifests. But I became interested in the ways in which these other sort of qualities of admiration or reverence might be part of the ways in which white supremacy also works, which means that we don't just need to understand fear and hate and anger. We also need to understand things like reverence or, or admiration and the ways that those can have sort of unintended dimensions to them. And that's in part what my book explores is that side of white supremacy, something that that might not be as readily evident, um, especially to, to white folks like myself who may participate in these activities all the time. Dr. Brian Crable, who is the founding dean of the College of Human Development, Culture, and Media at Seton Hall University. Um, Dr. Crable, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. You guys stay with us. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, The Helix, Fedway Associates, Inc., The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, 
showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber. When people were coming here to build the future, they needed a bank they could trust. But no one thought we could grow beyond a small town. They called us just another sleepy community bank. We proved them wrong. And for almost 100 years, Valley Bank has been committed to showing you what's possible. So, let them say whatever they want about us. We'll just keep being us. Because whatever you want to do next, Valley will be here to make it possible. We're now joined by Father Edwin Leahy, headmaster at St. Benedict's Prep. Good to see you, Father Ed. Good to see you, Steve. Thanks for having me. You got it. We're talking about leadership on Lessons in Leadership, and potentially we'll use it on one-on-one on -on -one as well. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm fascinated by the water adversity challenge, the WAC challenge, WAC, W-A-C, that I've been reading about. What, what is it, and what does it have to do with leadership of young men and women, please? So, uh, as you know, um, most of our are by far most of them from Essex County and um, lots of kids who don't have uh, don't feel they have much of a voice so trying to amplify their voice and is one of the things we we work hard at and creating leadership opportunities so we do the the, the all of our in, incoming freshmen come in and sleep on the gym floor for a week in the beginning of their freshman year and at the end of their freshman year they backpack the Appalachian Trail but I've been thinking about it and with different folks around here, we realized that after the backpack, there really isn't much that gives you immediate feedback on, on performance and on resiliency and mm. on the ability to, uh, uh, to become a leader or a better leader. So we concocted this uh, two challenges, one in the 10th grade, which is the water adversity challenge that you're talking about. With, a direct, with the help of a, of a consulting group that works with us called Victory Road. And part of the Victory Road team is a former Navy SEAL operator. So uh, we devised this because most kids of color, which are our kids, um, aren't able to, to defend themselves in the water because they're never really taught to swim. Not a so lot of experience with it. Access. Correct. Correct. Access uh, to and then teachers to teach them how to swim. So we we worked hard over the last two years of getting all of our freshmen to be able to, to swim. And then in 10th grade, in the very beginning of 10th grade, they do this challenge. It's a five week program that enhances their ability to swim. We've had kids that were afraid to go even near the pool, Steve, to come in the pool area itself. It scared the life out of them. So we've actually moved them adversity challenge over the course of the five weeks to be able to I watch kids to swim two lanes of the pool with their clothes on and to tread water for three to five minutes why are you torturing these kids father <laughs> <laughs> that's the they're the ones that are that we would call the the um the, the red group which are the 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 more fundamental uh kids but they can defend themselves in the water I'm confident of that there's another group that's a way more it's a probably 70% of the class that will go off of a uh, 
seven to eight foot tower with all their clothes on and a backpack and uh, and a mask that's blacked out that you can't see out of. And they, they go into the, the pool from the tower and uh, shed the backpack, take their, their uh, pants off. It could be sweatpants, whatever it is they're wearing. Uh, take their shoes off, tie the laces in a knot, put them around their neck, take the pants off and inflate them. Remember, now they can't see, so they can be easily disoriented. And in that part's difficult enough, but in the water is the former seal, who then proceeds to uh, attack them, in effect. Father Ed, hold on one second. Father Ed, Father Ed, we've known each other for a million years, and you've come up with a lot of innovative initiatives with you and your colleagues, and we'll show some video of this. What the heck is the point of this? Uh, now you got a Navy uh, SEAL attacking these kids in the pool. <laughs> they can't yeah. see them. Correct. And the, the 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 answer to the question is best described when you when that see when when Chris Howe, who's the SEAL, taps their mask and the, and lifts their kid's mask and to see their face and to realize that the the they have as a result of being able to do that. Um, I mean, that tells the whole story right right there. As a result of this, we have kids in ninth grade working harder now to learn how to swim because they want to be able to pass the whack. So it, it's become part of the place in just a very short time, three to three years, really. Um, and uh, I'm confident that every one of our 10th graders, if they fell off of a dock, fell off, they may not be able to swim for 10 miles, but they can defend themselves in the water. They're not going to drown uh, within the first hour or two. People can get to them. Mary, I want you to jump in because I, when I first read about this, I said, what is Father Ed and his team doing there? And I, I know, I know. Well, Steve, I don't know if you know, but I'm a former lifeguard. So I was I a lifeguard. Yeah, no, I was a former lifeguard. And so many of my friends failed because the water test was so hard. You had to tread water for five minutes holding a brick over the water. Mm -hmm. And the second that the brick went underwater, the timer restarted. Um, but I, I could not even imagine doing this that you had said. And I just wanted to get a sense, is there any, are there any of the students that resist this activity? I know you're talking about the success stories, the ones that really embrace it. Do any of them come out of it just saying like, I can't believe you're having me do this, right? No. Is there the adversity to it? No, wow. Actually, the interesting thing about it, Mary, is we invite at any point in the five weeks, uh, any parent can come in. Oh, really? Uh, and, and watch it, yeah. So, but the final challenge, on the last day of the five-week program, we invite all the parents. And I've had mothers cry in, in the bleachers watching it because they said, Father, I have no, I can't swim. So I can't tell you how thankful I am that she or he is learning, learning uh, how to swim and be able to defend themselves in the water. So many of our parents don't know how to do that. So they're, they're afraid to go anywhere near the water. Father, let me, let me ask you this, Father Ed. Beyond the, the swimming part of the part of this, which is huge. And if, and if you grow up in and around Newark, and if it were not for the boys and girls clubs at the time when I was a kid, uh, it was just the boys club. If it were not for the boys club, I would never have learned how to swim in, in my neighborhood in the northern section of the, of the city in the north ward of Newark. But beyond swimming, beyond getting over that fear, beyond the incredible accomplishment, what do you think this does for the kids who go through this longer term, Father Ed, in terms of their ability to deal with incredible, incredible adversity and challenges in life, please. That's that's I think uh, that's the point of the of the whole. In addition to being able to learn how to swim, but it, to to deal with the adversity. There's a lot of times in life where you're going to feel like you're sinking, right? And uh, what is it that you're going to do in face of that? Right? Are you just going to let yourself sink and therefore take second place, take fifth place, let somebody else get the job before you? 
it's all about confidence and um, being able to compete in any kind of a situation, even more important now as as things in this country presently begin to make it more difficult for kids right. like ours uh, to uh, to gain access, right? So to be able to compete with anybody and in fact, to know that you're probably better than a lot of them um, is really, really important, I think, for these kids. And to have voice, right? to be able to, to stand up and take control of it. It's all run by kids, right? The, the organization of the program, how it goes, the attendance, the discipline is all run by the kids who are doing the program. And Father, I tell everyone the, the demographics of your population, please. Yeah, it's, it's mostly kids of, of, uh, of color, most of the African dispersion. So African-Americans and then uh, the West African and Caribbean uh, more recent immigrants and then um, a, uh, the Latin American kids from all over Central and South America and a few Spaniards. We used to have a lot of Spaniards back in the 90s when when down neck was uh, the Iron uh, Bell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's, it's mostly South Americans and Central American kids. So if you want to find out more about St. Benedict's Prep, check out their website, but also check out a great story that was done by a much lesser program than us, 60 Minutes, over on CBS. <laughs> yeah, that's a joke, Father Ed, I get it. Um, they did a great uh, piece, a really extraordinary piece uh, on, on St. Benedict's Prep and the work we're doing. Thank you, Father Ed. Thank you, Steve, for having me. You got it. That's Father Ed. That's Mary. I'm Steve. Be back after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber. Welcome back to the West. <laughs> what did he just say? <laughs> Just don't even edit that out. Welcome back no. to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. Hey, Mary, I want to follow up on what Father Edwin said. And by the way, he really is, I know it's pathetic to think about it, but when I have spiritually significant questions, religious questions, Father Ed has been part, did you know that Father Ed was part of our family for 30 plus years? I, I am very aware, yeah. You filled me in on it, and I just know what a special place he holds in your family's heart. So he's great. He was he's my the late real deal. Father. He is truly the real deal. Yeah, check out St. Benedict's. They, they do extraordinary work. My father, my father, that, Father Ed was my, was my father's closest friend. They would hang out late at night um, on Bloomfield Avenue in Newark and go to coffee plate, you know, cafe, you know, espresso late at night, keep up all night. <laughs> father Ed praying at six in the morning. My father scheming up something else at the Northward Center, the Robert Treat Academy. So a lot of history there. Uh, so we really are very close but there's something I want to follow up on. So one of the themes that I picked up when Father Edwin was talking about the water challenge, water adversity challenge, the WAC, yes. WAC, right? Mm -hmm. I kept thinking about confidence. Yeah. You and I have talked about it before. So here's the thing. Confidence is a complex phenomenon. I write about it in, in this new book. Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the stuff, stuff, tough stuff, the graphic will come up. But now you may say, what's it got to do with the Giants? Okay, well, we're taping this program a little bit before Christmas 2023, be seen later. I don't know what's going to happen to Tommy DeVito, who is the quarterback, mm -hmm. the third string quarterback playing. <laughs> and by the time this airs, who knows what's going on? Mary, you, Mary, don't, don't even go there. 
<laughs> okay, go ahead. You know, by the way, do you know what this means? Well, I know that we've been doing it every time we see him on screen. My what, kids what love comedy. Well, it's the Italian. It's like, you know, I don't know what it means. <laughs> Wait, your definition, your definition is, you know. It's Italian. <laughs> okay, there it is. By the way, it can mean a hundred different things. That's, That's what I assumed. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the, the reason I'm going at this. So I, I sit there and I watch this kid undrafted. And I, and I in a previous lessons in leadership, I was not particularly complimentary of the New York Jets and the way they've handled their quarterback situation. And Zach Wilson, a young quarterback as well, who was drafted, got big money mm. and did not clearly have the confidence or the competence to play in the NFL as quarterback. That is, it's not about football. Right. I look at this kid, Tommy DeVito. I think about what Father Edwin saying about confidence with these kids in the pool. Tommy DeVito, nobody wanted him. No. Nope. Nobody wanted him in the draft. They pay him about $12 to play a game. He's not making any real money by NFL standards. We don't even know if he's ever going to get a pension to be because he has to be in the league long enough. You watch this kid play, at least for now. He exudes all this confidence, Mary. Mm -hmm. And just don't tell me it's his mother's chicken cutlets uh, or it's the Jersey thing. There's something about confidence. I'm doing it again with my hand. There's something yeah. about confidence. <laughs> Where the heck do you think it comes from? Well, it's interesting because you are comparing two young quarterbacks. It's not about football, but in this case it is. Zach Wilson, he had his own issue last season with being Mr. Cocky Pants. And then you get this kid that is given an opportunity, not with a silver spoon. There were zero expectations for this guy. He thought he was just going to be on the bench watching from the sidelines. And I'm sure he was super excited about that. But when put into an opportunity, he took it and ran with it. And he is so fun to watch. And it goes back to that confidence. He had the confidence not only in himself, but also in his team. Because think about it. You go in, you're you're untested, right? And as you said, like undrafted, like you were just the guy, like you're just a guy that's there just in case. Well, you want to know what? The just in case happened. And he is showing his confidence both as an athlete and as a human being. But he's also humble from what I've seen as well. But let me ask you, though, do you think, because you and I have talked about uh, our backgrounds a million different times. Mm -hmm. And my sense is your confidence, even though your confidence to do this show when we started wasn't what it is today. Fair? Mm -hmm. We've fair, talked about this very before. Fair. Mm -hmm. But you grew up in an environment, and I'm not going to turn this into a, a, an Oprah moment where I make Mary cry, but I will say this. It's hard this, to do right? these days, Steve. <laughs> okay. Or worse, make myself cry. Because when I listen to Mary's childhood, I want to cry for myself. Because Mary grew up, and this is what I'm trying to get at with Tommy DeVito and confidence. This kid's parents believe in him. Mm -hmm. I mean, they believe in him. And listen, we don't know what's going to happen. He could fumble, throw 10 intercepts. We don't know what's going to happen. That's not right. the point. But just watching as we're watching now, his parents are all in for him. Yeah. Your parents were all in for you. 100%. Your parents told you good things about you, positive things about you. Some of us grew up in a different environment that I'm going to say was... Uh, much more aggressive, tougher, and let's say uh, not a lot of compliments. Mm -hmm. But you can still wind up being confident no matter what the background is. But what advice would you have for parents? There's a point to this, trust me. If you want to try to instill confidence, your son Joe gets up and performs in front of, front of people. Where the heck did it come from you and Bill, your husband, that yeah, you gave him no, the confidence? I... Or is it his DNA? Yeah. And I do believe that it's nature and nurture. Joey literally was born and was like, he's arrived, right? There's pictures of him in a diaper playing a guitar with a, you know, singing with a microphone. 
And it's not like we said, Joey, take a guitar and here's a microphone. He just did it. But that's not to say that there's not also confidence in Will, his older brother. It's a different type of confidence. It's a confidence in the work that he does, the work product. He's a computer science guy and he's confident in the coding that he's doing. The advice that I have for parents is to let your let your children know that you trust them to make their own decisions. Let them fail. You and I have talked about that all the time. You cannot have confidence if your mm -hmm. parents are there to pick up the pieces all the time. You need to give them direction, but you also need to encourage them to take risks and let them fail, even as young as kindergarten and first grade. I never, ever, and you could ask my kids, I never, ever had them come home from school and say, let's go over your homework list. I made them know that they were responsible for it, even if it was making their letters in kindergarten and first grade. And they knew they came home. It was their responsibility, not mine, to get it done. And that just continued all the way through. And now it's continuing into their, you know, their work lives. And, and how does that relate to leadership potential? How does that relate to the skills and the tools and the mindset necessary to be a leader in this incredibly yeah. competitive, unpredictable, difficult environment. No totally. matter what you're in. Because you so. got it. You have to, in order to be a confident, competent, and excel as a leader, you need to, number one, you need to just get your own stuff done. You need to make things happen. And literally, if you don't, if you don't have that courage to take those risks and fail, you will never be a truly good leader and everything else will come, but you need to be able to work independently, fail independently and learn independently. And wow. one other thing that I do want to talk about, and I know was going to come up at some point in our taping today is being intentional. And that's the one thing that I've talked to both of my boys about forever, whether Define it's- your... it. Yeah, I was just going to say, so be intentional with whatever you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's life, whether it's relationships, whether it's friendships, be intentional, because if you're not intentional, you're wasting time, you're wasting people's time around you. And I'm not saying there's not a space for fun out in the world. There's a huge space for fun, but you should be intentional even with that fun. Be responsible with that fun. And as a parent, those are important lessons that tie right back to leadership. So this intentional thing is so interesting because Mary and I, in our coaching work uh, with our company, Stand and Deliver, we use the words intentional and strategic they almost, they really mean close to the same thing. Close. Close. But, but here's, here's what, it's so interesting. One of the themes in, I won't keep plugging the book. Yes, I will. Yes, you uh, will. Lessons in Leadership 2.0. <laughs> we worked stuff. hard on that thing. That was three years. Speaking of, that's our child right there. Aren't we doing a whole separate? Yeah, we are. Later on today, I'm really excited. We're doing a whole thing on the new we book? We will, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's like three years plus of our lives. So that being said, I'm going somewhere with this. So here's, here's what it is. So being intentional means fighting your enemy called autopilot. Mm -hmm. what, what, what is this guy talking about, autopilot? Since when are we in a plane somewhere? No, <laughs> autopilot is our enemy. Translation. We got this taping today, Lessons in Leadership. We got our other tapings with the Caucus Educational Corporation, State of Affairs, Think Tank, one-on-one, -on -one, and with Jackie Tricarico and I on Remember Them. What's it mean to be intentional? It means putting yourself in the frame of mind to be here. Literally, within, I don't know, 15 minutes, Mary, I'm going to be interviewing Governor Murphy, yeah. correct? Yes. What does it mean? What does it mean, Steve, be intentional? What Intentional what? What does that mean? Well, it means that literally, well, and that, that also then goes to compartmentalizing. We are intentional and present in this moment, being intentional. We are being focused. 
And we are also minding our time because I know Elvin keeps putting up that we are almost out of time. But what being intentional means is making sure that you are steering that ship in the same direction. And most importantly, that all of us are rowing in the same direction. As opposed to, yeah, I'm just going through the motions. I know I've done it a million times. I'm on autopilot. Nope. No, that's when you get sloppy. That's when you make mistakes. That's when you're not focused. That's when you're really not at your best. So I'm off my soapbox. Good. Mary has given parental advice to everyone, often that I ignore because we rescue our kids too much in this house. <laughs> my wife, Jen, you know we do that. Mary Gamba, Steve Adubato, Lessons in Leadership. This should be called Lessons in Life. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, the Helix, Fedway Associates, Inc., the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Veolia, resourcing the world, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia, more than water, resourcing the world.